Well, we know the Psalms are a hymn book, a hymn book of the Bible. Uh, That's what we often call them, aren't they? Or are they? Well, Psalm 72, verse 20, I'll just read this one to you. Uh, It comes at the end of the book, the second book of Psalms, says this. The prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. So to conclude the second book of Psalms, actually, it concludes by saying the prayers uh, of David are ended. Now, certainly, they're not all prayers. And again, they're not all of David. In fact, that comes after a psalm of Solomon. Um, But uh, if we're going to describe the Bible, uh, sorry, describe the book of Psalms as a hymn book, as the hymn book of the Bible, then we just as well to describe it as the prayer book of the Bible as well. We don't have a prayer book, do we? Because we're we're good nonconformists. Um, but our prayer book is the book of Psalms. That's what we, we have. That's what God has given us. So bearing that in mind, there's a huge amount that we can learn about prayer from the Psalms. Prayer is a path of blessing, as I, I've called it. That's another way, really, of saying a means of grace. A way of growing as a Christian. And uh, there was much that we can say, really, about the, the book of Psalms. I, I didn't come, really, with an agenda uh, when I picked this title and, and picked this for myself, I wanted to see myself. What do the book of Psalms actually say about prayer? What can I learn? What can we learn? So I just want to share a few things with us uh, this evening. Kind of give a quick disclaimer. As we look at prayer uh, in the book of Psalms, some of us, I imagine this evening, will be struggling just to pray at all. And this isn't supposed to be crushing to you if that's where you are this evening. This is supposed to be emp- empowering. This is One person learning how to pray, sharing something with another person learning how to pray. And at the end, we're going to finish with five practical suggestions from the Psalms of how you can improve uh, your prayer life, ways that you can walk these paths of blessing. Um, So we're going to look at, I'm afraid they're very unimaginative titles this evening, but hopefully they should take us through some amazing truths. Uh, The first title that we've got this evening, there we go. Uh, what do they pray for in the Psalms? What do they pray for in the Psalms? And uh, we're going to look at various different Psalms. Uh, we're going to not so much focus on uh, Psalm 51, but sort of jump around a little bit in the Psalms. Uh, and as we see what they prayed for in the Psalms, I want to think through, do we pray uh, for those sorts of things? Are these the things that we have as our priorities in prayer? So first of all, the first thing that they uh, pray for is rescue is rescue. Now, if you've got a Bible, have flick it open to uh, Psalm 3. A lot of these early ones are going to be early on in the Psalms, and we'll just be focusing mainly on the first uh, verses. Psalm 3, verse 1. O Lord, how many are my foes! Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. And Psalm 7, verse 1. O Lord my God, in you do I take refuge. Save me from all my pursuers and deliver me. Now, like I say, we're only looking really at just a couple of verses there, but that's a huge theme in the book of Psalms. If you read through David, especially, he's praying over and over again for God to rescue him from the different situations that he's in. And it's worth mentioning that the rescue that he generally is talking about is not so much a spiritual rescue, uh, though that's alluded to, isn't it? But... In the first place, he's actually saying, my life is in danger, Lord, please rescue me. Now, it is spiritual what he's praying. As we look through it with New Testament eyes, we can see those themes of salvation coming through. But we've got to be careful not to over-spiritualise it. You know, it's okay, actually, in situations in life to pray. I mean, I'm sure you've had that situation where something is going wrong and you've just got that short prayer, you know, 
Lord, help. <laughs> Even if it's just that short. Well, that's what David does. He, he raises a bit more poetic and a bit longer. Um, but that's basically what he's doing. That's the sort of situation that he's praying into. And it's massive in the Psalms. So this idea of rescue is one of the things that we can pray for. That's, that's a really common theme in the Psalms. The second thing that uh, we often see is that there's prayers for God to hear. Let's have a look at uh, Psalm 4 verse 1. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. And then Psalm 5 verse 1. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. And again, all the way through the Psalms, there's this theme again of asking God to hear your prayer. Now, again, you wouldn't sort of think of that necessarily as a sort of category of prayer, would you? A prayer for God to hear your prayer. I often think it's a little bit strange, isn't it? Because surely, if he doesn't think God is listening to his prayer, how does he hear his prayer to hear his prayer? Um, it comes across as a surprising thing, but he does it again and again, doesn't he? If you read through the Psalms, please, Lord, hear me. Hear me, Lord. And I think there's two main reasons that we get that as we go through the Psalms. The first is that who's writing the Psalm, generally David again, is very aware of their sin as they write it. Sin separates us from God and it can hurt our confidence in coming to the throne uh, as we as we pray to God. And I think David is aware of who he is in relation to God and wants God to hear his prayer, but looks at himself and sees no reason why God should. The New Testament, though, brings this in sometimes as well. Um, uh, sorry, Old Testament in Psalm 66, verse 18. I'll just read this one to you. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. There's an idea there that actually sin can hinder prayer somehow. So I don't think we should think that our prayers are totally unaffected by our spiritual condition. But that seems to be partly why he's praying. He sort of feels that there's something not quite right. He's aware that he's a sinner as he prays. The second reason I think that he prays for God to hear him is that he experiences what we all experience from time to time. And quite often, the idea of unanswered prayer. So I don't think it's that David thinks that God isn't listening so much in that God is incapable of hearing him. I think it's that David has prayed for things again and again and again. And he's feeling that God is not listening. He's feeling, well, if God is listening, then why isn't he answering? And don't we know the same experience? Haven't we prayed for things over and over and over again? And you can start to think, God, are you listening? Why haven't you answered me? And it's remarkably honest, isn't it, the Psalms in that way? Um, we often think, you know, oh, I have the tendency to think, you know, you read prayers in the Bible and you think they're a constant string of victorious prayers by victorious people who always get what they asked for. But actually in the Psalms we're presented with a series of difficult prayers by broken people. And they know the reality of unanswered prayer in the sense that God is seemingly not listening, seemingly not answering. And yet we're given these as model prayers. We're given these as prayers that are okay to pray. So I think this is part of our experience. It hits us as being very real, doesn't it? That, yeah, we can get that, that feeling. Well, are you listening, God? Why? That, this seems like a good thing to pray for. Why haven't you answered me? Well, David prays for God to hear him. And that's probably the second biggest category of things that are prayed for in the Psalms. Uh, The third one is forgiveness. So we had Psalm 51 uh, read out, but Psalm 6 verse 1 as well. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. 
all the way through the Psalms, there are prayers for forgiveness. And these are prayers of believers. So there's a school of thought sometimes that the only people who should pray for forgiveness are people who aren't yet Christians. That, you know, you pray your one prayer and that's it. But that's not what the book of Psalms teaches. It's not what the Bible teaches. Actually, over and over again, they're confessing their sin to God. They're asking for forgiveness. And I don't think it's because they're unforgiven. Uh, it's a bit like saying thank you for something. Have you ever said thank you to some, someone when you know that they're thankful uh, for what you've given them? But you say it anyway, don't you? It'd be wrong not to say it. And I think it's a bit like that with forgiveness. We, we have forgiveness in Christ. But we're called to ask for it. We're called to come to God and say, please forgive me. Even though we know that we will be heard. Even though we know we've already been heard. And Psalm 51, as Mike mentioned before, is an amazing model. I I find myself coming back to that again and again as David just speaks so really about his own sin. Acknowledging that even... I was thinking in Psalm 51, you know, he says, uh, my sin is against you only. You think, really? What about Uriah? (laughs) What about Bathsheba? What about all these people that you've hurt? But it's just a wake-up call, isn't it? He asks for cleansing. Now, for David, that was a major sin that he'd committed, wasn't it? But we need to get in the habit of asking for forgiveness, of confessing our sin. And again, I wonder how much does that feature in in our prayers? The fourth thing that we see uh, in the Psalms is that they're there to praise God. That's uh, one of the things that they do as they pray. Psalm 8, verse 1. Try to keep it within the first ten Psalms as much as possible. But uh, Psalm 8, verse 1. Our Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glories above the heavens. And then Psalm 145, verses 1 and 2, a bit further along. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Do you notice in those Psalms, it's not saying sometimes like we do, you know, in third person, you know, we, we pray that God is, well, sorry, we say that God is amazing or God is this. It's actually saying to God, you are amazing, you are king, you are Lord. So it's actually addressed to God, it's a prayer. I wonder, do we ever pray just to praise God? Is that ever like, do we think, right, I'll have a time of praising God with my prayers? Or do we just praise God when we want to ask him for something? And I'm speaking to myself here as well. Uh, you know, I, I sometimes get, uh, the boys will come up to me, one of them, and say, oh, you're the best dad in the world ever. And you know what my, do you know what my head thinks? What do you want? <laughs> it's true, isn't it? When you sometimes get that, somebody, oh, you know, oh, that, that, that something was wonderful. But actually they're trying to butter you up, aren't they? Because they want something. I wonder how often our prayers look like that. So, you know, we praise God at the beginning because we're told to, and then we got on to asking things. But do we ever just praise God? Do we ever just take time to, to praise him for who he is? Uh, so we don't need to butter him up before asking things. So sometimes I don't put those praise bits at the beginning, because otherwise you could be tempted to think that's what gets you your prayer answered. You know, sometimes we can try and use our words almost as a sort of propitiation as in to sort of try and take away God's anger or, or wrath by saying, oh, as long as I praise him to start with and calm him down and make him think that I'm, he's nice, then actually he'll answer my prayer. But Jesus' death is our propitiation, not our smooth words. We don't need to butter God up. Uh, but we should praise him. 
So I'm not saying don't praise him in just general prayers, but think about it. Could you actually praise him without asking for something? They do in the Psalms. The fifth thing uh, is to thank God. So going back to the early one, Psalm 9 verse 1. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I'll recount all of your wonderful deeds. So again, as you go through, thankfulness, thanking God for things uh, is a, a constant theme. As Mike reminded us earlier, we're, we're not always as thankful as we should be in our prayers. But in the Bible, thanklessness lies at the root of sin. So if you look at Romans 1, that's on the back of your notice sheets if you've got one. Uh, Romans 1, 21. This is sort of talking about the heart of where sin is from. In Romans 1, it says, For although they knew God, they did not honour him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. In the book of Romans, that's the beginning of a sort of downward spiral into sin, which finishes off with murder and uh, all sorts of horrible things at the bottom. But right at the top is this idea of not honouring God and not giving thanks to him. And I wonder, again, how often do we thank God for what he's given us, other than at mealtimes? How often do we actually answer, uh, thank God for answered prayer? So if we do ask God for things, how often do we stop and actually take stock and think, actually, God has answered that prayer. We prayed for good weather for the, the um, Victorian fair. Did we thank God for good weather at the Victorian fair? Again, I'm speaking, speaking to myself here as well. We, we're British, uh, generally. Uh, <laughs> um, we know how insulting... You carry, you carry some... Yeah. Okay. I'll speak to you later. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But um, as Brits, we, we know how, how insulting it is, don't we, when people don't say thank you. It's sort of built into our, our DNA, almost. No, could you imagine, you know, having people around for Christmas even if it's your own family, and they don't once say thank you. You know, it just sort of sets you on edge, doesn't it? But how often do we treat God that way and not thank him for what he's done? So we're to thank God uh, as well. That's one of the things that comes through in the Psalms. Sixthly, um, there's the idea of personal lament and restoration. Have a look at Psalm 10, verse 1. We're getting into slightly more obscure now, but they are there. Psalm 10, verse 1. Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? And then over to Psalm uh, 13, verse 1. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? These are basically prayers that God would restore them. Uh, these are prayers of people who are feeling far away from God. And again, this ex- reflects our experience, doesn't it? They feel far away from God and they're asking in these psalms, uh, in these prayers, that God would draw near to them. And we can know that feeling, can't we, of feeling far away from God. But we can be tempted to think that that's a sort of sub-Christian experience. You know, that actually that's not something that we should feel as Christians, that that is somehow something wrong. But the Psalms confront us with believers who feel this way. Here we have great believers of the past expressing those same feelings that we have. Sometimes that God is far away. 
Here we have it legitimized in the words of scripture. It's not unusual to feel distant from God. But what we see again and again is that in that situation, they pray for the restoration of that situation. They ask God to come near. They ask God to restore them to the way, uh, the way that they were. So it's normal for Christians to feel this way, but it's also normal that that should drive us to real heartfelt prayer to God to restore us. So that's another thing that we see uh, in the Psalms. The next one is the defeat of our enemies. Uh, Have a look at uh, Psalm 69 verses 22 to 28. So this is a prayer, if you think about what he's saying. Let their own table before them become a snare. And when they are at peace, let it become a trap. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and make their loins tremble continually. Pour out your indignation upon them and let your burning anger overtake them. May their camp be a desolation. Let no one dwell in their tents. For they persecute him whom you have struck down and they recount the pain of those they have wounded. Add them punishment upon punishment. May they have no acquittal from you. Let them be blotted out from the book of the living. Let them not be enrolled among the righteous. And then Psalm 58 verses 6 to 9. O oh God, break the teeth in their mouth. Tear out the fangs of the young lions, O oh Lord. Let them vanish like water that runs away. When he aims his arrows, let them be blunted. Let them be like snails that dissolve into slime, like the stillborn child who never sees the sun. Sooner than your pots can feel the heat of thorns, whether green or ablaze, may he sweep them away. Well, these are prayers in the Psalms. And uh, again, like I said, I didn't come with an agenda, so just looked at what the prayers in the Psalms were. But here we have the defeat of their enemies. And it's pretty hard to, to think of us praying Prayers like that, isn't it? But we must understand them, this side of the cross. So in Ephesians 6 verse 12, it reminds us that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. So we never pray for the physical breaking of someone's teeth, etc., this side of the cross. We are not a physical nation with physical enemies, so we don't (coughs) pray for those physical things. But we can match their sentiments to our enemies. We can pray for an end to Satan's work of deceit and death. Of systems in the world that keep people in poverty and ignorance of the gospel. Of governments and powers that persecute and kill Christians. I think the reason why we don't get this so much and it strikes us as being so strange. (coughs) Is that really in, in general terms we're not persecuted in our country. In the Psalms as they write these things these are people who have been persecuted by the people that they're writing about. They have had their their um, babies and their children murdered. They've had their wives and daughters raped. And you can see why they would pray something like that to God. Again, it's, it's real, the way that they're feeling. But they are praying for the defeat of evil, if you read it. They're looking in the bigger picture in God's plans. And so we should pray in the bigger picture for God's plans as well. We're not to pray for vengeance, but we are to pray for the defeat of evil, the end of this. And then the last one, I've lost the number of the count of what number I'm on, but um, eight. Okay, communal, communal lament and restoration. So have a look at Psalm 74, 
verses 1 and 2. O God, why do you cast us off forever? Why does your anger smoke against the sheep of your pasture? Remember your congregation with which you, um, which you have purchased of old, which you have redeemed to be the tribe of your heritage. Remember Mount Zion where you have dwelt. And then Psalm 85 verses 4 to 7. Restore us again, O God of our salvation, and put away your indignation towards us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again that we may be the people, that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant your salvation. So what we see here is like the personal lament feeling far away from God. But actually this is a group of people praying. It's it's in the the us, in the we uh, way of saying it. Um. And what it's really saying is you, you seem to have left us return to us. And it's a reminder here that whilst that other sort of lament prayer can be very personal, this is actually something that they were praying together. They felt as though God had left them as a group, as a people. Uh, and we can be aware of that too, can't we? That sometimes uh, it's not just what is happening to us as individuals, but what happens to us as a group. And they pray as a group for restoration. They pray as a group for God to return to them. And again, do we experience those sorts of things? Do we pray in that way for God to do that? So that's basically the eight different sorts of uh, ways. Don't worry, the other the other points don't have as many points. Uh, but um, that basically gives you an overview of what prayer is in the Psalms. Those are the different ways that people pray. So what can we learn from those different things? Well, I've just got a few things for us to uh, to think about. The first thing that we learn from that is that prayer should be real. Prayer should be real. I think it's fair to say that most of the Psalms, as we look at them, we wouldn't pray, actually, when we we think of the ones that we've just read. Some of them seem too harsh and gritty. Some of them seem too negative and lamentable. Some seem, seem far too personal to pray out loud. Though, of course, they must have been prayed out loud at some point because we've got them written down here. So perhaps the issue is actually, you know, with those sorts of things, we uh, don't know each other well enough, perhaps, or we don't feel comfortable enough with each other to pray uh, those sort of personal prayers. But actually, those prayers are there as a model. They're there to teach us. But so often we put so many hindrances in our way, don't we? Uh, we don't help ourselves by not giving ourselves example of how to of how to do those <coughs> prayers with each other. It's the same with our music. If you think about the psalms as being like a music but we said that they were both didn't we well how many lament songs do you know not many, not many. <laughs> the closest i could get to was um uh, that will rejoice rejoice yeah. what's that one we sing it at christmas emmanuel oh come on come emmanuel that's about as close as we as we get really how many songs do we have that speak of god feeling far away when we sing how many songs do we have that even confess our sin? I've struggled to find good songs that do that, that talk about sin. Even metrical psalms, which put the psalms just to sort of put them to music, often sugarcoat it. Uh, you know, you, you don't really hear those, uh, um, the, the raw language of the psalms in music or in prayer. The closest actually I've found to some of the things that we've looked at is in 
uh, people who've been formerly in the Christian scene. So there's a band called Evanescence, uh, who were around sort of about ten years ago. And uh, the group actually met at a Christian camp, but then started to fall away. And they wrote an album called Fallen. And uh, these, these are some of the lyrics from the album. Now I will tell you what I've done for you. 50,000 tears I've cried, screaming, deceiving and bleeding for you. And you still won't hear me. It's actually a really disturbing album to listen to if you realise what's happening in their lives. But it's interesting, isn't it, that we don't have that sort of thing in our Christian canon of music, of, of songs. When the Psalms show us that those things are actually real and legitimate thoughts and feelings for a Christian. Those things, having those thoughts, don't put you outside of God's grace. Actually, Christians have fought them through the ages. But I wonder if that's the impression that we give by our songs and by our prayers, that those things are okay to feel. So prayer should be real. If that's how we're feeling, if those things are real, then they should be reflected in our prayers. Second thing that we learn is that prayer should be varied. Prayer should be anything but a shopping list or, you know, the sort of, I'll, I'll, I'll pray you bless Phil and Lil and Will and bless Jill and, and so on. You know, that, as, as though that's, that's all you pray for. Do all our prayers pretty much follow the same pattern every time? Well, we're probably missing out, aren't we? Because the Psalms give us this amazing variety of ways to pray. To pray. And we can get stuck in prayer roots, can't we? I've I've done that. You know, you just end up praying pretty similar things day after day. And bringing in deliberate variety can help. It's one of the reasons why at prayer suppers we have different sections. Just to help us think about different things that we can pray for. People have used mnemonics in the past to keep it varied. Um, The one we learned at Sunday school when I I went occasionally was stop. Uh, Sorry, thank you, others please. Or act. Adoration, confession, thanks, supplication. There are a lot, lot, lot more. I'm sure you've got your own uh, there. But even they can become formulaic, can't they? And they don't include all the different variety of prayer. You know, you can't, uh, you can't have, you know, um, <laughs> should have thought about this before I said it. Um, you know, add an L in there somewhere for lament or, you know, it, it just doesn't work, does it? But actually, we, we should have a variety of prayers. We should be okay with praying One day we pray praise, another day we pray thanks. That's okay. The third thing that we learn from the Psalms is that prayers should be public. Not all prayers, but some. The church has always gathered for prayer. Always. Right back in the Psalms, when they're saying us, it's because there's more than one of them praying. In the New Testament, the early church gathers together to pray. The church has always gathered for prayer. And it's surprising, isn't it, that often, even here in Bethel, when you go along to prayer meetings, there are fewer people there than there are at normal meetings. It's one of the strange things. But gathering for prayer is not just for the superkinis. It's for everybody. The Bible calls us all to pray. And actually, it's completely normal to pray in groups. Prayer is not a specialist interest for the Christian. You know, if you're interested in prayer, come along to the prayer meeting. Actually, it's our life and breath. And all of us should be involved in that, shouldn't we? We should want to pray together. We should want to encourage one another in prayer. So it's right to gather to pray. Now, if you do not pray in private, something is wrong. If you only pray in public. But if you will not gather to pray, 
then something is equally wrong. Just as we view the Psalms as songs to be sung together, the Psalms are prayers to be prayed together as well. The fourth thing we find out is that prayer can be thought out and beautiful. Prayer can be thought out and beautiful. Some thought went into the Psalms before they were prayed, uh, before they're prayed, before they were prayed. So if you think about the Psalms, you, you know, we're used to the poetic side of it, aren't we? The, the parallelisms, the different sections, all those sort of clever things that happen. Psalm 25 and Psalm 145, which we, we read uh, a little bit earlier, they're acrostics. So they've literally gone through letters of the alphabet uh, and written a paragraph or a, a verse on that letter of the alphabet, you know, A, B, C, or the Hebrew equivalent. Somebody sat down and thought them through and they produced something beautiful to pray. So by doing that, they proved that you can be real and you can be thought through at the same time. They're not sort of contradictory. It's not ungodly to write things down beforehand. It's not that spontaneous prayer is somehow more godly than somebody who sat down and thought through what they're going to pray. So think about it, the way that you might declare your love for someone. Okay, you could do it, couldn't you, by uh, a love letter. Uh, you know, sit down and think, right, I want to say that I love you. I don't, do you I'm not going to ask you if you've ever written a love letter. I imagine some of us have. You know, write a love letter. Is that less real than saying it to someone? Or is it just a wonderful and beautiful way to say it? Of course, you want spontaneous gestures as well. If you only ever write I love you to your spouse or your your partner, then that would be a little bit worrying. We do want spontaneous as well, but it's a both and, not a one or the other. A love letter is no less real. In fact, it's probably had hours poured over it to make it special. So love letters aren't less real. The spirit can move in prepared things as well as spontaneous things. Our stream of conscious prayer, stream of consciousness prayers can sometimes just be as unspiritual uh, as, as writing out something wrong. Um, the last thing that we uh, see uh, and learn about prayer is that prayer should be God-centered even when they're about us. Prayer should be God-centered even when they're about us. I don't know if you notice as we go through, David and the others do actually pray a lot about themselves. It's something that sort of shocks you. You sort of expect it to be, oh, we're praying for others. But actually, they pray a lot for themselves. But they do it with reference to God and his plans. So it's okay to pray for yourself. It's okay to, you know, it's not being selfish, talking to God and asking for things for yourself. It's okay to request prayer from other people as well. I've sometimes had the situation in, um, especially when I was a student worker, you know, you go around and ask for prayer points uh, at a meeting. And, you know, you get the old person say, oh, no, I'm okay. Thanks, no. What does that mean? You know, uh, well, actually, I don't need prayer. Uh, (laughs) You know, I'm I'm okay. What sort of impression does that give? Actually, all of us need prayer, don't we? So it's okay to request prayer. It's okay to pray for ourselves. It shows that we need God. If we stop praying for ourselves and stop asking others to pray for ourselves, it's actually showing that we think we're self-reliant, don't we? But when we pray for ourselves or anything... We need to make sure we're thinking about what God thinks about it. That it's with reference to him. So have you ever asked someone for something without thinking about how it might impact them? You know, for example, asking to borrow someone's car and uh, not thinking about the fact they actually need it to get to work or something like that. Or, you know, um, I think I've done this before, but, you know, going to a bookshop 
and ask you for a book so you can have a look at it before you buy it on Amazon. Uh, um, those sorts of things. We're not thinking through how that will impact the person that we're asking it from. But actually, we need to think about what, what we're asking for. How will that impact what God's plans are? So David's prayers are always in relation to his relationship with God. So it's worth asking before we ask anything, am I really asking this in Jesus' name? Would Jesus be praying the same sort of things in my circumstances? Our prayers need to revolve around God and his plans, which are universal, they cover everything, which means we can pray for ourselves and we pray for others as well. But it makes us think about how we pray for ourselves, what we pray for ourselves. What would God want us to pray for ourselves in those situations? And it's worth thinking about that before you pray, especially if you're sitting down and thinking them through. So can I finish by giving you five practical suggestions of pass to blessing? These are quite short, but um, if you do them, they'll bless you, I think. Um, firstly, pray the Psalms. Pray the Psalms. Get a Bible in front of you, find the prayers in the Psalms and pray them. You might need to change a few lines. You might need to think through what it's saying. <coughs> but actually that will make us more in line with what God wants us to pray. If God's given these as a model for our prayers, then actually um, that's what we should do. We should use them as a model for our prayers. And I'll show us how to do that in a few minutes' time. Second one, write out your prayers. Write out your prayers. I've had a period of, of keeping a prayer journal where I've written out my prayers. I did pray as well as that. I didn't just, you know, I didn't always grab a pen and, you know, get it out. Um, but I found it really helpful in my quiet times just to actually slow down. <coughs> so I could sit through and think through, what did I actually want to say? What was I actually asking for? And if you're feeling dry, especially, that can actually be quite helpful. Because there's not that pressure to sort of keep going. You know, I have to keep saying something, I have to keep uh, speaking. Actually, you can slow down and think, what do I actually want God uh, to do? What am I actually asking him for? It also helps if your attention tends to drift while you pray. I, I'm assuming we all have the same sort of problems, you know. Actually, writing it out can help. Um, I don't then stop and pray it afterwards. I pray it as I write it. But it just slows me down and helps me think. And I imagine that's essentially what they did as they were writing the Psalms. They sat and wrote it out as they prayed. Third one, this is a bit controversial, but it's certainly from the Psalms. Pray the alphabet. Pray the alphabet. The psalmists do with an acoustic poem. That's basically what they're doing. They start with A, they go to B, they go to Gimel next, uh, and they carry on. But we did that our last prayer breakfast, uh, giving <coughs> thanks for different things. But it can be a way of, again, just bringing a bit of life into our prayer life. So you could pick a theme. You might be one giving thanks for nature. And just work through the alphabet. Think about people. Work through the alphabet. Um, you know, Pray for Andrew and pray for um, Brenda. Brenda. <laughs> exactly. Is it, uh, you pray for Chris. You can pray for David. It goes on and on. And actually, that I find that helpful to pray for people you might not think about. Don't feel free to skip. You know, if you don't know anybody called Zena, um, <laughs> and you know, move on. But it can just help you think about different things, places. You pray for different countries in the world with the alphabet. You can pray for areas in your life that you want to grow. Adoration. Uh, I want to pray, uh, grow in my, you know, all those different things. And just, I couldn't think of anything to be then. <laughs> but sit down and think about it.
But you can pray through those things. The alphabet can help with that. You can pray through other things too. The church calendar. Pray for the different things that are coming up. You pray through um, church members. You pray through maps. Uh, you can even pray through the phone book. If they, Is this still produced, the phone book? I think it was the last edition. Um, that might not produce so much variety. <laughs> um, and uh, like I say, do skip letters. Xylophones don't need so much prayer. So, uh, But it's just something to just spark us off to something different. And it's what they, they did in the Psalms. They prayed through the alphabet. Uh, number four, pray with others. As I said, the prayers uh, in the Psalms were public. That's how we know them. Many were communal. They prayed them together. How can you pray a communal psalm alone? So, practical suggestion. Why not come to prayer supper? Why not come to prayer breakfast? Why not meet up with a friend and pray? Why not pray with your spouse? Actually, it's a great blessing to hear other people's prayers. It's a great blessing to be in a group of people who are wanting to pray together. And when you go there, whatever those situations are, pray that's one of the other things that happens, isn't it? We, we get a large group together to pray, and then one or two people want to pray. No one's judging you when you pray out loud. If they are, then shame on them, frankly. Um, if you're really scared about praying in public, pray first. That's my advice, because no one can nick your prayer points if you pray first. Uh, you just, you, oh, you've you all had that experience, haven't you? You sit there and think, I want to pray for that, I want to pray for oh, the, the person before you pray for it. If you're nervous, just pray first. Uh, and then final uh, practical thing. Uh, I've decided that I've got so much stuff in, in here, really, that I wanted to do a whole series on prayer uh, in the new year. So we're going to look at that on a Sunday evening in the new year, uh, looking at uh, these issues from the rest of the Bible. <coughs> it's not going to be a course. It's going to be a series of talks and uh, trying to help us all with our prayer life. We won't just be looking at the book of Psalms, but through the whole Bible. So those are five practical ways that you could walk this path of blessing, that you could do something a bit different, that you could maybe bring a bit of life into a flagging prayer life. What I want to do is close by praying a psalm. Um, so I'm going to pray Psalm 51, which we had read. Have it open in front of you, but I'm not going to pray it exactly as it is there. Uh, I'm going to change a few bits, not because the Bible's not good enough, <laughs> um, but just to help us think about how we can pray it uh, ourselves. So Psalm 51. Let's pray. Father God, have mercy on us according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out our transgressions because of Jesus' death on the cross in our place. Wash us thoroughly from our iniquity and cleanse us from our sin. For we know our transgressions and our sin is ever before us. Against you, you only have we sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, we were brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did our mothers conceive us. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach us wisdom in the secret heart. Purge us with hyssop, and we shall be clean. Wash us, and we shall be whiter than snow. Let us hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from our sins. And blot out our iniquities. We bring some of them before you at now, just in the silence of our hearts.
Create in us a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within us. Cast us not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from us. Rejoice with us the joy of your salvation, and uphold us with a willing spirit. Then we will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Help us in our evangelism as we do that this Christmas time. We pray that sinners would turn to you. Deliver us from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of our salvation, and our tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open our lips, and our mouth will declare your praise. Help us to proclaim your greatness to our friends, to our neighbours, to our family. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or we would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to your people in your good pleasure. Build up and protect your church. Then we will delight in right, then you will delight in right sacrifices as we offer our lives as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>